Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Tactical Adventure. Ted, it feels good to say that again. It's been a minute since we've been together. Spring balls in the books, the draft is in the books, spring meetings are in the books, there's still changes on the horizon. You're on your way to Paris for the French Open here at the end of the week. I'm on my way to a family vacation, and then before you know it, we'll be at media days. So how are we living, man? We got a lot to talk about. Well, you know, that's the deal. Look, it's mid-May as we're talking, and college football, college athletics, I guess, we're we're here in the football realm, but it's really college athletics has is to me, no doubt, entered the realm of the professional sports. It's 12 months a year. There's no downtime. And we used to have a little bit of a downtime. Um, when I was in the NFL, I, I was struck, and I didn't know this until I was involved firsthand, that the downtime in the NFL is about 10 days. It's like the 4th of July. <laughs> and that's basically the time that all the staffs tell all the coaches, go do your thing. Go get it out. Go get your yayas out. Take your vacations. Be with your family. Do it. You know, really those first two weeks of July, that's your one dead zone. And then we come back July 15, let's say, and it's full down till January. Anyway, point being college athletics, I think, is there. And look, you you were just in Scottsdale where the college sports world kind of collected earlier this month. And I don't know if you sense this, but I'm watching and I couldn't make it there with you, but I'm watching from the outside. I'm thinking, you know, we're not just in a period of, of tweaking stuff. I think we're in a period, we're in the beginning of, and I use this word with some caution, revolution in the way college athletics, it's not just football, the way college athletics will be run. Did you get any of that sense being there? Yeah, it was really unique being there. One, it's fun because it's very relaxed. But two, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on, right? Whether you take everything on Twitter for fact, or if you can talk to coaches and athletic directors and administrators and take what they say as fact. And sometimes it's gray in between those two areas. But the reality is NIL is the number one thing everybody wants to talk about, right? Pay for play, which is basically what's happening now versus why NIL was created July 1 of last year, our commissioner's very first day on the job. The second thing is when you look at a lot of coaches, they're like, well, yes, I understand the seismic shift that's happening in the NCAA, right? There's going to be a total shift there in terms of obviously the president next year, but also the ideology. Pat Chun, the AD at Washington State, is on a committee where they're looking at the NCAA saying, all right, what are we going to be? Like, how do we, you know, catch up to the relative times, per se? And that's probably saying it kindly. And I say that because coaches, you know this, they're about tomorrow, right? Like, they're not thinking five years down the line like in the way the cycle works we'll be lucky if all 12 coaches are here five years down the line dramatically lucky I wouldn't put any amount of money on that so I think there is like a world where you're looking at the future but also you got to take care of the here and now and those are the two big things that I took out of that outside of just the camaraderie and I think we had a we, we might have the best group of head coaches we've had since we've done this when you look at the whole collective top to bottom. And that's great to hear. And I want we'll, we'll go through, before we're done with this, we'll go through the PAC schools and where they stand after spring ball. But I, there are two things that struck me over the last month or so that I've read. Um, one of them is from the only athletic director who's on the college football playoff committee. That's Jack Swarbrick, who has been the athletic director at Notre Dame for over a decade, but before that was a longtime involvement in NCAA an amateur athletics based out of Indianapolis. And Jack Swarbrick came out and just gave an interview somewhere in the last month where he said it's inevitable that Division I will break. He thinks it'll happen in the 
in the early 2030s, and that's really tied to the current media deals that have been signed by the SEC, and I think the Big Ten's pending one. I believe that's why he's gearing his timing to that. But he basically, and, and, and actually maybe I'll, I'll pull it up here in a second and read, but I thought he had a fascinating comment about how it will break down. He said, we'll basically break down in half. And uh, I'm going to find it here. He said, it would be between schools that just license their name. You license the school name and run an independent business that's engaged in sports. The other end will be you integrate into the university in terms of decision-making and requirements. And schools will, in essence, fall into one of those two categories. It's it's an offshoot of what I know you've heard me say this for five years. I've used the Premier League as the model that I thought there was going to be 20 schools or 30 schools that would break off and do a super league in football, or Premier League. This, you know, these are all offshoots of that concept. But I thought Jack Swarbrick really phrased that well. And it's going to push a lot of schools, including my alma mater, Notre Dame, into that tough decision making uh, area. Which way do we go? Do we just license our name? And as Pat Forty, the writer in SI said, do we just say it's Oregon Ducks Athletics Inc.? And that's just, a, that's just an example. It's not a specific. Um, but I think that's realistic. I think that's realistic. And the second, phrase, the second uh, thing I, I read, Yogi, that just really rocked me was another co a coach I've gotten to know very well through the years, basketball coach, Mike Bray, also at Notre Dame. And Mike Bray was a Duke. He was an assistant for Kay before he got the Notre Dame job. Very well respected. He's been there about 20 something years. And he said, look, and he's talking about basketball. He said, coaches, stop whining about NIL. He said, deal with it. We're all getting paid a lot of money. It's here. Deal with it. And I went, wow, finally somebody to me that resonated with me. Because it is, it's not changing. It's way more extreme in basketball right now than it is in football, the transfer portal, I should say, because just the nature of the sports, I think basketball lends itself to be a sport where you can flip seven out of 12 a year and still play. Football, you can't flip 75% of your roster and expect to have a productive year. But Yogi, to me, I mean, and chime in on this. I'm looking at, I'm trying to simplify this. Coaches in particular, and a lot of people in, in college athletics, and even extends to someone like me, have benefited from the explosive growth in college athletics over decades. Market, right? Coaches have been able to take advantage of the market. And it's not everybody, but there have been examples of coaches who have jumped contracts who just you know, taken advantage. Brian Kelly this year walked out on a school walked out on a recruiting meeting in someone's living room to take a phone call from his agent who was negotiating a new contract for him. Yeah. I mean, okay. So now who's been excluded from that market for a century? Players. Players, yeah. Players are now in the market. They can take advantage of the very same market forces that coaches have benefited from that, that by extension, athletic directors, and even all the way trickle down to people like us in our business. Now the players can take part in it. So when Mike Bray said that to me, I, I went, yeah, that's it. Stop complaining about it. Deal with it. Yeah, man. You know, it was interesting. I was at the draft and I was talking to Coach Shaw. He always works for the NFL Network there. And we, we just kind of had a round table of, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah, Joe Clatt, like all the guys that are on NFL Network, Charles Davis, who I know we both love. And I just, I, I was talking about it. We were all talking about NIL and the world that it was. 
And I said, you know, thank God for Ted and I. No one can mess with the game. You know, like when we get to call the game, like we don't have to live what these guys are living every day. The recruiting, guys leaving, getting paid, tampering, right? Like look at Pitt. The Blitnikoff winner at Pitt is now in the portal. Call it free agency. Everybody thought he was coming to SC. We'll see. He's reportedly taking visits at Bama and Texas and, you know, a bunch of other schools. And part of me, like, I get that. I get that. So here's the exercise I did with my wife that I think you'll appreciate. I said, Amy, who's who's one of your favorite guys you've ever heard me talk about in college football? She goes, oh, Khalil Tate. I love Khalil Tate. I said, okay, Khalil Tate's on the cover of SI, has a breakout sophomore campaign. Well, in the world today, after his coach got let go, Rich Rodriguez, Khalil Tate probably transfers. Let's just say he ends up at UCLA for argument's sake, comes back home to Los Angeles. How do Arizona feel, fans feel about him? I don't like him that much. A little bit of distrust, don't have a great taste in their mouth with them. When he comes to UCLA, does he become Troy Aikman, Cade McNown? Probably not. The chances are really slim. So what happens to Khalil Tate in 10 years? He doesn't have a tie to Arizona. doesn't have much of a stint at UCLA. And I think among all these things, and I talked about it with a couple of coaches in Scottsdale, guys aren't going to have any affiliation to schools. So I get the Premier League. I get the getting paid. I'm down for Jordan Addison doing whatever he wants. I understand the market. I get it. But you went to Notre Dame. You're connected for life. I went to Pitt. I'm connected for life. I think guys in the portal, especially when you're bouncing for one year or maybe two years, like where's your connection? I get it when you get beat out. I understand that. Like I get why Keaton Slovis went to Pitt from USC. But when you're an elite player and you're bouncing, like like an elite coach, like the Brian Kelly reference, bouncing to go get, in their eyes, a better opportunity, a new opportunity, I got a problem with that because I think the player is going to get kind of screwed in the end. I don't think they're going to have any connection. And and I see it now at 40, right? You're a little older than me. Like, we go back to that fan base. I connected you with one of the greats of all time at Notre Dame. Ian Book, the all-time winning quarterback. He could do whatever he wants with Notre Dame. The rest of his life, Andrew Luck, Stanford, et cetera. And I'm just, that's where I'm really worried. And I don't think a player, and I understand why, I don't think they're even thinking that way. I, no, you, that's that's perfect. I couldn't agree with you more. And it, it leads into my longtime held view with you that the difference between Saturdays and Sundays in the football season is Saturdays people root from here. They root from their heart. Ooh. And on Sundays, you root from your head. College, heart, pro, head. That's changing because now the business, it's a billion dollar business on Saturday. It's going to force people to start thinking and the players are there, right? They're going to start thinking with their head. So you blew my mind the other day we were talking. I want you to share it, but there's obviously there's always been dialogue since Christian McCaffrey opted out of a bowl game of should players opt out. Should they play? They're going to get paid. Share share what you said with me (laughs) because I haven't stopped thinking about it. So, this gets into, again, this revolution that I think we're starting out on in college athletics. And one of the questions that will have to be answered, I know it's been addressed by, I know lawyers who have been addressing several conferences out in our part of the country here over a decade now, is how do we handle the employment angle, right? You know, the guy that's pushing, and I forget his name, the former UCLA guy has been pushing all these causes for players wants everything for players, but doesn't want them to be employees. Okay. You want, you want payment, you want lifetime, this lifetime, that, but no, we're not employees. Not sure that that's a realistic take. Okay. Once you're an employee, 
what does that mean? Well, if you hire somebody to come in and work on your house and you sign a contract with them that they're going to do these, this work for your home, you're going to pay them. Your last payment doesn't happen until the job's finished. So if I'm now paying a player to play, which is happening, it's what NAL is doing. You're paying people to play for you. Guess what? Opt out of games? Uh-uh. Not happening. You pay to play. And therefore, that last payment doesn't come until you play the conference championship game or the extreme case we saw with Ohio State this year. How many Ohio State players didn't play in the Rose Bowl game? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. If I'm paying, this just me speaking now. If I'm paying, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that's going to be so interesting to watch because it's real money. Right. Like I look at the draft and I had thought, and it's important, I think, to call out when we're wrong. I thought we'd have the most players ever drafted in Pac-12 history this year, which would have been the most is 39 in the Pac-12 era. I thought we'd get to 40, no problem. We didn't. Right. We didn't get near that. What do we got? I think we had a record number of free agents, though, ended up signing because we had so many fifth, sixth, seventh round guys that basically got passed up for other fifth, sixth, seventh round guys that also had bonus years, that also came back. So I look at like the Verone McKinley's of the world. It's a guy who is a captain, extremely marketable, the whole thing at Oregon. He's gonna, he would have made more money if he came back in an NIL deal and then had to make a decision to play in a bowl game, let's just pretend it was next year, versus his free agent deal. And there's a guys up and down the line that at Mika Tafua, he had a chance to come on back. He decided to opt into the NFL. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of those guys that went there. So I wonder, A, like, are you going to be tied to playing in that bowl game? I, I don't know where I net out on it yet uh, when, you're, when it's your draft year. Like, I look at, like, there's a quarterback, allegedly, from California going to Tennessee mm-hmm. for $8 million bucks. Yeah. Does that include bowl games in just year one and year two? Right, like, like, well, I don't, I don't know those details, but it's going to get ugly. And to your point, it's going to turn all of us into the head. So here's a little sidebar. I don't know if you do this or did this when you called pro games. I did a stint with the AAF league. Mm-hmm. So I went down there and I did, I think I did like three or four games in a day. It was just kind of like, just go right. It's preseason games, and it was kind of fun for me to call those games because it was professional in quotes. So I could come down a little harder on guys. I kind of enjoyed it every once in a while, like got to make that play or whatever it was. Whereas in college, maybe I, you know, we've done this for a long enough time where I'm not that guy. I wonder though, like does the, even like the, the broadcasting profession, the an analysis profession, the, the critiques, you know, like do they become even harder because guys are getting paid? And, and I say that because I do this talk for every locker room in the pack when I go in and do media training is I say, hey, take your helmet off. Nobody sees you. Right. Like when you do interviews, make sure your helmet is off. People need to get to know you because you're just a guy in your armor. And now when you're just in your armor and you're a college player, people don't know your face unless they're psychopaths in recruiting. And most of us aren't outside of maybe the quarterback position and you're getting paid. So now you're going to get criticized even more. Like I just there's a world where I'm really nervous about that. And, And here we are on Mental Health Awareness Month and you and I are huge on that. I just think that like there's a lot of things we're not seeing coming down the pipe that just got to be managed and addressed because it's not going to slow down. NL is not going away. Right. Just hopefully some guardrails. There'll be a calendar. Like some things will come out, I think, over the next couple months to give it some form. But man, how athletes are portrayed, received, and talked about, I think is going to change. Yeah. 
Um, a couple of things, a couple of offshoots to me on that. I was wrong in one thing that I thought was going to happen. I talked to you about this. I thought we would have coaches that would leave who, who obviously have to have the option to go to the pros, but I thought we would lose, we meaning college football, not just the pack, but college football would lose coaches to the NFL because of what you just talked about, because this, this system is complete chaos with zero. And I think, by the way, I, I used the phrase, we did the UCLA game and we had Martin Jarman, the AD on with us. And I used the phrase guardrails. And I realized, I mean, I said that because it's Pac-12 network, we're past guardrails. We need yeah. cement barricades and razor wire <laughs> now. It's, it's way past guardrails. But anyway, point being, I was wrong. We haven't had that exodus of coaches. I was surprised by that. So again, I freely admit that was something I thought would happen. But to your point about players and their choices and their options, uh, I continue to say this. How many players in the Pac-12 are being recruited? Or let's just say this past year were recruited by coaches in this conference. How many players don't believe they're going to get a shot to play in the NFL? Like zero. zero. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the point. At this level, it is pro yeah. to me. And not everybody, we know not everybody's going to make it. Not everybody's going to get, look at, what, look at what happened to Oregon. How many players didn't get drafted who declared? I mean, oh. like a C.J. Verdell, I can't blame him. The guys are running back. That's the shortest shelf life of all. And the guy blew his knee out. But when you blow your knee out, you know, you think you're going to get drafted? I mean, yeah. I, that to me was not a realistic play. I don't know what advice and what other elements are in his particular life. I don't know any of that. But anyway, um, this is this is pro. Everybody playing at this level believes they're at least going to get a look. And there may be the rare, you know, the, the small percentage of players that are realistic enough to understand this is the best I can do. And I'm loving playing Pac-12 football, but I'm going to prepare for my life after, right? Yeah. There will be a small percentage of yeah. players like that. But I think it's small. So how about this on that note of being a pro? I think it's really, it's been interesting talking to coaches. We hit the tour in the spring in past years, because remember May 1st, those listening of this past year was like the portal deadline. We'll see if that calendar changes over the course of the next couple of weeks and couple of months. If there's some, to Ted's point, some cement guardrails here, blockades. Um, coaches often talk to players at the end of the spring, kind of, hey, state of the union, where do you sit? Well, now I think it's way more blunt than it's ever been. Hey, Ted, uh, I love you at wide out for us, but you're really not going to play here. So if I were you, like, you could stay, but you're probably not going to have a spot. Now, you're seeing a mass exodus to the portal. What used to happen, especially in the Southeastern Conference, they would have that conversation with a player, and they would put that player on a medical. And he just would still have his financial aid and scholarship. He just wouldn't play. He could still eat with the team, but he wasn't really around. Now it's way more blunt. It's way more direct of like, Ted, you're a good dude, but you're probably not going to play here. And then Ted just bounces, right? Uh, it, it's just that that fluidity of being a professional. Now, mind you, I think it was four years ago, our former commissioner, Larry Scott, was the first Power 5 commissioner to set the rule in. You get a scholarship for your entire career. Yeah. It used to be renewed annually. So it, it's just a weird like, th th think of that conversation. Yeah, you got it for four years. But really, at the end of every year, it's a dramatic assessment of what are our needs. Look at USC. Lincoln Riley told to us when he came on of, hey, man, I'm going to flip over this roster. Nobody thought it was what it's become in terms of right. that type of flip. But that's the reality, man. And, and, and I'm, so as you're saying that, Yoga, I'm sitting here thinking, so 
you can't have both things, right? We can't have guaranteed four-year scholarship, but a kid can transfer any day of the year. That doesn't. I don't work. think so. So I'm saying so. If, yeah. if and and and, and well, we, I think sensible people recognize where the pendulum has swung, and that we hope there will be a return to a middle ground that works for everybody. It doesn't restrict players' rights, allows players to enjoy market forces, yet keep some sanity to the competitive structure. And that's the point we're making here is that without, without that, I think that's where the sport gets damaged. Totally. We don't have something that retains the competitive structure. And I know that's, even though I've had disagreements with coaches in the past about this in private conversations, I understand where they're coming from. They're coming from the competitive nature yeah. of the sport. Um, uh, I, I've, I've told the story before, but this was a basketball story. Bo Ryan was a very successful basketball coach at Wisconsin. And this is probably seven, eight years ago, the NCAA tournament during an off day, and I have the access to him. And we get into a pretty emotional debate, or at least what I thought it was emotional, about the graduate transfer. The graduate transfer was just starting at the time. And Bo Ryan was adamantly against that. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I've made some money in my career off this facade in college athletics of the student athlete. So if the student athlete lives up to the first part of that word, the student, and gets a degree, how do we deny them the chance to further being an athlete? I don't understand that. And he was just dismissive of that. And I understood from the standpoint where he was coming from. He was coming from the competitive nature of a coach trying to formulate a program and a roster. I didn't agree at all with the with his stance, but I understood the 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 root of it. And, yeah. and that's where I'm saying, I think that part is, that's just, that's gone right now. And we need to come back to some middle ground, some sensible middle ground for that. So last one on this, because we had a ton to talk about, but I was talking to a coach in our league and, and I think this gets no play. And I'd be curious your take. College football is big business. Ultimately, college football is the developmental league for the NFL. And the NFL has no affiliation with college other than setting rules when guys are able to get drafted. And I say that because like, where's some support from the NFL? Like, why don't we just call it out versus the XFL as a developmental league that has ties to the NFL? Like, I think there's a world where it's like, hey, big NFL, let's actually connect to college, right? Whether it's financial literacy, whether it's like whatever, like every kid wants to get to that level. It's, it is the JVs to the varsity, if you want to give it that example. And I never heard that. And a, and a head coach told me that. And I was like, that's a really good point. Yeah. No support. Absolutely. The, um, I, I actually was this past weekend with someone uh, who run a very successful businessman who's involved with a company that uh, is run by uh, a McCaffrey, one of the cousins of Christian. And they're, uh, they provide an awful lot of informative online programs. Um, we've dealt with them before because they're in the college world, they're heavily slanted towards the gambling impact. But what the NFL, what reason they're making, the NFL's paid them money, substantial amount to provide these online forums to send to colleges to prepare the potential players in these power five schools for what's happening in the NFL. That's smart. Next thing that has to happen to me, and I thought I was talking about this with this uh, friend of mine over the weekend, Look at the NBA. The NBA has hurt college basketball by the NBA restricting its entry into the league after Spencer Haywood went to court 50 years ago to win this right. Maurice Claret's case 
in football, somehow some judge screwed it up. And now in basketball, they say, listen, we, you have to wait a year. Okay, that's created the one and done, which to me has been destructive to college basketball. But the NBA at least started a G League. They started a G League. It's their own developmental league. And now you have an option. Kid, you want to go to college for a year and deal with academics and stuff? Fine. Come play in the G League. The NFL needs to do the same thing. And the spring football stuff has tried 30 different versions of it. I was involved in one 30 years ago. None of it flies. The NFL needs to, which prints money, by the way, in the league, needs to have a G League, quote unquote, in the fall that plays on Tuesday nights in the fall. And if you need a player, you're an NFL team and you have a player and you can go to the G, the NFL G League, so to speak, and bring a guy up. And he may not be able to play that first week because he just played on Tuesday, but he has a week to get into your camp, get into your playbook, get into your rooms, blah, blah, blah. That to me, amen. I just, for the life of me, the NFL, at, at some point you make so much money, have a G League. Yeah. Yeah, just a side note on that. I don't even know if it's came out yet, but because uh, I don't read everything on the NFL, but I think the NFL owners just turned down adding one more player to the practice squad, which was like eight grand a week, right? So who yeah. knows if, if where they want to spend their money. Um, okay, uh, there, there's a lot to talk about as we continue on uh, with within kind of our spring recap. Um, let's start with Arizona State, right? And maybe give a, a note on each team if we have it. We were there for spring, their spring showcase. I think it was pretty evident where they struggled at quarterback. They lose their best player in offense and defense. Linebacker ends up at USC. Uh, wide out, we'll see where Ricky Pearsall ends up as well. Um, some players have entered the portal. Some have came, come back. Omar Norman Lott ends up coming back. But they get Emory Jones, four-star quarterback at a high school, an Elite 11 kid who I'm a huge fan of. What, what do you think? Like, like are people – way over the top dramatic like hey arizona state i i don't know or did you see enough even though you sub subtract some of those players to say hey, dude they're gonna be pretty competitive like when they play oklahoma state like they're not gonna get rolled what, what, do, you, what do you think well I, yeah that's it's a great question you know, we talked about this a little bit on uh on pac radio um we went there and we heard two things when we were there repeatedly one is tightest team best team atmosphere since herm's been there Second one was, we have five scholarships in our back pocket. Herm said this to us directly. I've got five scholarships in my back pocket, and I'm going to start using them tomorrow. Unfortunately, we left, and what happened the next day? Best receiver leaves. Best defensive player leaves. Second, Lole is – I don't know where Lole is as we speak. Is he – He's still in the portal. Else? Not yet. He's in the portal, right. It's like, I mean, it's hard. I, I just don't know how you have optimism about that. I just, I don't know. I mean, yes, Emory Jones went. They needed a quarterback. You knew that. Um, but, man, what else is there? I, I, I know there's still some talent players there. There's no question. I'm not suggesting that's an 0-12. That's not the point. But what's been a 7-8 win team right now, I'm not sure you can see that. Yeah, yeah. Just quick on that one as a follow-up. I am really intrigued to watch this team because I think of all the coaches in this league, Herm – has a chance to be exceptional at bringing people together that had not spent a lot of time together, right? Just being in the pros, his personality. So I think he'll have this team ready. I think having talked to some guys that are still there, what they went through last year was so hard, even though they were all like, hey, block out the noise. But I think it gave them like, kind of gave them a rep at, at going at something like this. And also on the portal, I think we are in a world where 
there's a little bit of a copycat element going on. Hey, let me test out the waters. Let me test out the waters. Let me test out the waters. I've talked to head coaches in this league about that who've lost starters and captains on their team because they're like, well, I got to go try to get mine. I want to see what it's like. So I, I think it's going to be shaky for them, but I can't wait to see that week two game, Oklahoma State. They'll have an extra couple of days. I think that'll be a real fun opportunity for that program to kind of go on the road. And, and you know, as, as spring ended, I, I kind of do like my list of like, who am I most interested to go see? Like, they're not number one for me, but they're in the top four or five teams that I, I want to go see what it's like. You know, I'm sure we'll have them early on in the year, um, which leads to my second thing. I've been thinking about this a ton. Okay, the portal. We get USC and Oregon. Like, they've got the resources to throw down, right? We've seen them get players. Jacoby Covington, a corner from UW, just went to SC this morning. Who knows if they get Jordan Addison. Oregon has thrived in the portal as well. Like, the NIL collective that they, they both – well, that – Oregon has and has announced SC has not really come out and said what they are doing or what they have, but we know that they're well positioned in the arms race of college football. So I look at it and I look at it and I say, well, you know what? Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State, are they the four like healthiest jobs to be at? You know what you're going to get as a recruit. You know what you can offer in the NIL game, you don't have nothing. You don't have everything. It's kind of a culture fit. Like I wonder for the coaches there, and I've asked some of them of like, hey, do you, what do you think of this theory? I just think they're like really healthy places to get seven, eight, maybe take a run at nine, 10 wins a year. Um, but they're not gonna see players get poached dramatically because they've got either a really cool culture, or they found guys that wanna stay and develop, or they've got the academic side. Now we lost, we saw two guys leave Stanford without getting a degree. I was just going to say, Stanford got hurt badly, right? But but did they? Like, did they? I don't know. Like, like Austin Jones, like, we love him, but he didn't break a lot of tackles last year. Like, if we're just going as a football player. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think it was a smart move for him or Nathaniel Pete to leave without getting their degree. But I don't know. Like, I just, I keep thinking about that of, like, Okay, like ASU, like everybody thinks they should have a collective that can compete against SC, right? They don't. Like that's just perception because everybody's always said it's a sleeping giant job in air quotes. Uh, I I just think those four jobs are like kind of well positioned to say, hey, this is what we do. Stanford, you got to get in out of high school. Like, or you don't get in as a, we don't do the transfer thing unless you're a grad transfer, like the kid at Oklahoma, the safety. Right. Well, the the Stanford, we know Stanford and even probably slightly lesser degree UCLA can't play the transfer game Stanford I know it for I mean the grad transfer thing at Stanford is it's not zero percent but it's probably two percent yeah of a play so that doesn't just but but then I come back to your point from earlier so here you had two top two running backs at Stanford two guys are going to play this year for them that both leave you know one goes to USC so you can understand that's football driven the other one's Missouri is that right yeah which is hard to understand playing for Bush Hamden yeah for Bush, right for Bush Hamden, exactly. But my point is, they they both walked away from Stanford degrees. Yeah, that's the part that to me goes back to what I talked about: how it's no longer about the heart; it's about the head. Yeah, and they're looking at it strictly as a football conversation. It has nothing to do with college. Yeah. So you, you reference UCLA. I think it's important to note them. If if okay, as of today, May sixteenth, I'm going to pick Utah to win the Pac-12. Uh, south as we know it today right we're going to talk about that in a minute like does this north and south even exist right we'll talk about that um 
but I pick Utah. If I didn't love what they did last year and didn't trust Kyle Whittingham so much, I'd pick UCLA coming out of the spring to win the South yeah. in air quotes. I love what they've done, right? In the portal, he's missed one time. Every guy started except one player. They bring in Jake Bobo, who, in my, from whatever it's worth, my eyes said he was the most complete wide receiver I saw all spring. We, we, we both had a chance to visit with him and really enjoyed uh, enjoyed that visit with him when we were there for the spring game. Yeah, and you had a great conversation with uh, Tim Drevno, their O-line coach, and everyone was blunt about it. They needed some tackles. They yeah. go get one. They get a tackle, transfer out of the University of Oregon, right? They could insert right in. Everybody was on him in the league. Uh, Jeffers is his last. Jalen Jeffers, I believe, is his name. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm high on them coming out of spring. Like, I'm really high on them. And, and that's a great call, Yogi, because this, this also – goes to one of my other pet peeves. You, you brushed against it earlier, which is, you know, how forever. I don't want to hear about stars. Don't talk to me about stars. That people in basements put on kids in high school. Yeah. means nothing. In, the, in, in a power five league. Now, if I'm re- recruiting in the MAC or in the Mountain West, in, you know, those tiers of conferences, that does mean something. Power five, forget it. Just look at the first round of the NFL draft that we just had. Look at how many two and three star recruits out of high school were drafted in the first round, including Devin Lloyd, three star out of high school, first round draft pick. Right. And my point therefore morphs into who had the most players drafted out of our conference. Amen. Go Bruins. CLA. Isn't that the measure player development, right? For all the conversation about Chip and what Chip chooses to do, how he chooses to recruit, blah, blah, blah. Who had the most players drafted? How about that? In LA. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. So, so we love them. Um, We went over to SC after the UCLA spring game. Dude, it was awesome over there. I had a chance to spend getting back to uh, the meetings in Scottsdale. I spent a decent amount of time with uh, coach Riley, just get to know him a little bit. Um, Dan Landing, like the new coaches, Kalen DeBoer, we'll get to him in a minute. But I really like what SC's done in terms of like, they've upgraded their roster. Like I've got a document that I just put together. I'll send it to you of like my top players on every team. I just got bored the other day and started doing it. And Caleb Williams, Travis Dye, Terrell Bynum, Brendan Rice, CJ Williams, Mario Williams. None of them were on the team last year, right? Mario Height, Makai Blackman, uh, you know, Shane Lee, there's a bunch of guys, and I just look at it and I say, Oh, they're gonna be dangerous now. Lincoln Riley's GM of the year, he won free agents. I mean, totally, really. yeah, him and Lane back and forth on Twitter talking about yeah. that. Yeah, but to that point, one of our good friends, Chris Peterson, I was talking to the other day, and he said, At the end of the day, culture and camaraderie still wins. And he told me this the day he got hired, I flew up to Seattle, I did the interview on the Pac 12 networks, and he and I said, How long does it take to install a culture? And he didn't blink. He goes, 18 months. Hmm. So I say that where like Lincoln Riley hasn't even been there eight months yet. Um, it's going to take a little while, I think, for all that to meld. So my takeaway from watching them in the spring and being around them a little bit is when they play Notre Dame at the end of the year, to me, that's the catalyst. Like, I think that's what launches SC into like what everybody wants, SC, right, from, from old. And I just think it's going to take a little time. They got to go to Utah. Their schedule, it's set up nicely, I think, to get eight, maybe 10, maybe get crazy and get, get more than that. 
But their defense still has to improve. They added a player as a reference earlier today, but it's really the front seven. Um, and they'll be fine. They'll play hard and they'll be talented. But I just look at them and I just I see the build happening, man. Like it is coming. I think it's still Utah's league. But man, coming out of spring into this portal world, into camp, that I see them kind of taking off, man. It's not their time yet. I'm not ready to go there yet. But I I just love how Lincoln Riley, to your point of Mike Bray, is like, hey, let's just adopt to the reality. Now, I don't think any, but talking to people there, nobody loves what's going on in college football. It's not like SC is like, man, this is awesome. And our world and players wanting to, you know, that's the first question they're asking versus like, hey, how do I fit in the culture? What's class like? They're all asking about NIL deals, especially there, especially with Hollywood and all those things. But I think he's just got a way about him that is going to set this thing, going to set this thing on fire in a good way. So that's a fascinating dynamic you just posted, Yogi, because of uh, you know, Chris Peterson's line there about 18 months. So here's Lincoln Riley in this new era. It's the new era, right? Coach comes in, big buildup, free agency, pulls in players from within the conference. Never used to happen. Pulls in players from within the conference to work and trying to meld, mold it together in one year as opposed to the 18-month Chris Peterson model and going against a guy, and if I'm counting 9, 12, 15, this will be the 18th year for Kyle Whittingham as the head coach of Utah. That's awesome. Okay. Lincoln Riley, he's been there for, what, four months in the new world. Yeah. And he's played it beautifully so far. To the culture that's been developed over 18 years by Kyle in Utah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, man. I hope we get their opening game. We'll know in about two weeks if we get the Rice game uh, for Lincoln. But you're right with Utah. I just I, I talked to Cam Rising the other day. And I'm, I'm working this quarterback book that, Ted, thankfully, you're going to be a part of as well. And he's just got a way about him. And I think people forget, and, and I'm going to be go hard on this, Cam Rising was a five-star recruit out of high school. He wasn't like three-star Sam Darnold and he just developed and won the job and became the guy. Like this was the man who went to Texas and then came back to the Pac-12 footprint. And I say that because if everybody around the country doesn't know who Cam Rising is by the time they play Florida, we've all done a poor job. As well as the people who get paid to talk about football. I'm talking to you, ESPN, Fox, SEC Network, whomever. Um, he should be one of the guys named, I get there's Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, but in the Caleb Williams Cam Rising, they should be in the same dialogue based on what's happened on the field, based on also both huge recruits. So I, I say that because I just think that when I look at them and their top players, right, including a freshman, Jalen Glover, who went off in the spring game, including Brent Keithy, who I believe is the guy Kyle references when like a lot of schools came tampering to go get that tight end with a lot of offers. I'd imagine he's the guy that a lot of people went after. I just like where this team is positioned right now. Clark Phillips, you could argue – to me, he's tied for top DB with Christian Gonzalez, who's now at Oregon in the league. They got a lot of players, man. And uh, I'm just not going to bet against it. I think this is their year that, that they take a run at, at least coming out of spring. Yeah, that's a great call about, about rising in the quarterback. And it's it continues to be, I, I guess, it may be something of a frustration, perhaps if I can use that word, that Utah doesn't get this respect. Look at what just happened. I referenced Devin Lloyd. A general manager who I happen to know has massive respect for Kyle Whittingham's program traded up to get Devin Lloyd wow. to his team in the NFL because he's done. I just know he has tremendous. It's 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 looking at culture. It's looking at how 
football's played in, in, in an era where the game has changed in many ways that we know Utah maybe has changed less yeah. in the way the game's played. Am I right about that? You're exactly right. And what I've seen in the spring, we were all both at Arizona. And if you go around this league and you say, all right, what defense does everybody play? I've seen a shift to people playing, this is the nerd, the 4-2-5 defense, right? Four-man front, basically get after the quarterback in your rush lane. Don't try to hold a gap. Let your linebackers be athletic and move. Play a nickel defender as a starter and, and go play that defense. And I Arizona's going to play that defense. Obviously, Utah plays that defense. Usually a lot of teams in this league start playing. about that with Bill McGovern at UCLA. That's right, UCLA. I mean, that, that's, yeah. I mean in essence, that's now the default defense in football is yep. – is, you know, you want, you want to say it's the hybrid position, whatever phrase you want to throw in it, it's a fifth defensive back, yeah. right? That's the default position. We start from that. The front seven, so to speak, I think has been, is lesser than it was. Yeah, yeah, which leads me to, I want to talk about a couple more teams real quick. Uh, Cal. I would not be shocked if Cal and Oregon State made a lot of noise this year. Mm-hmm. Xavier Carlton and Brett Johnson, you can make an argument that they might be when you look at the two of them, find another top two defensive lineman on a team, and how do you comp them? Brett Johnson, every coach I talk to, I talked to Mario Cristobal the other day, and he goes, Brett Johnson, that was the best player. He might be the best defense, interior defense lineman in the league. Brett Johnson didn't play last year. Didn't play, right. He got in an accident the night before the spring game that you and I called, and now he's back. He feels as good as he's ever felt. This is a guy who was a wrestler. He did judo. He's done all mixed martial arts. Like He can move. He's agile. He's got that flexibility. Xavier Carlton transferred from Utah. He played a lot last year playing the rush end position. So I just look at that team. I'm excited for them. They get in a transfer, of course, um, at linebacker in Jackson Sermon, Peter Sermon's son, who was a leading tackler at Washington. And wide out wise, it's the most explosive team Justin Wilcox has had. And I don't think it's close. And I know they lost two guys to free NFL free agency. They lost Nico Romijo to Fresno State. I think they got better at that position. Jeremiah Hunter, Maven Anderson, J. Michael Sturdivant, Jermaine Terry looks the best out of any tight end in this league. Like tan in the dirt tight end. Uh, and then they get Jack Plummer, quarterback. What'd you center. think? Yeah, you saw the spring game. What'd you think? He can spin it. He's going to be really accurate. And that, I think this offense is going to be great for him. He, he doesn't have the mobility that Chase Garber's had. And, you know, but he's a better passer, in my opinion. He's, he's what they, excuse me, they haven't had, you know, to be honest. They haven't had, and that's why I was going to say the defense guys you referenced, but look, let's face it. This is a year where you want to see Cal's offense ramp it up a notch. Yeah. And I think we will. Um, And then flipping it over to UW. So I spent a decent amount of time with Kalen DeBoer in Scottsdale. And he's a guy that we had our meeting with prior to calling the Fresno State UCLA game of the year, according to Kirk Herbstreet, by the way, which was, I agree with Herbie on that one. He was really impressive. And not just like, you know, you come off of meetings sometimes that are organized. You're like, wow, that was impressive. Just in like hanging out with, just talking about life with, talking about his kids and, and talking about his team and development. And you forget that sometimes this guy was like a head coach for almost a decade at like a lower level school, right? Like he's had a ton of experience doing this thing. Maybe not at UW, I get that. But he's kind of old school in the, the climb, right? We see meteoric rises in coaches now. We're so accustomed, like Dan Lanning's 35, right mm-hmm. it's amazing but i'm a big fan and we know what they're going to be offensively much better right like just plain and blunt and then you add in roma dunzier jalen polk 
Giles Jackson, Jackson, Jalen McMillan. They get a transfer from Arizona State, a local wideout uh, who's now back there. They get uh, their offensive lineman, Jackson Kirkland, gets a bonus year, the medical year. He gets granted. Um, and I think they got three quarterbacks that can, that'll be okay. Well, I was going to say, is Kalen DeBoer a quarterback whisper? I think he comes from that tree of Tedford and all those guys. Yeah. I think yes. Jake Hayner, obviously. Like, I do think so. And, and what I love about him is that when you talk to him, he's found in an optimism. Right. And I think sometimes when you're with quiet guys that are coaches, or at least not that public, right? Because Kalen hasn't been in the spotlight forever. You just don't know. Man, every time he talked about Sam Heward or Dylan Morris or Michael Pettick, like it was grounded in optimism. Like, can't wait to see what happens in training camp versus, hey, we got a guy and that's what we got. And then we'll see if the other two can compete with him. And Pettix, who of course he coached in Indiana in his two jobs ago for him. And I just I just really enjoyed that. As well as like guys on the defensive side, like Savelle Smalls. I think he'll be a breakout player. Cam Bright, transfer from Pitt. He's going to be a, he's a captain type guy for them. Like, I just think they're going to surprise people. And when Mel Tucker comes to town in Husky Stadium, I think it's just going to be a great moment for that program. I hope they, obviously, I hope they get the win. But anyway, I wanted to sh- share with that uh, about UW because it's good. He doesn't get a lot of play, you know? So let, let me take that and ask you a question. We talked a lot. I was beating this one into the ground last year, as you know, have your quarterback ready. Have your quarterback position ready. Because right now, as we learned painfully, you get really hurt if you don't win in September. And that happened to several schools in the conference last year. The quarterback job wasn't ready week one. Yeah, and it was brutal. Um, And then lastly, uh, because I went to Pullman, Cam Ward is on the It Factory this week. Um, I think he's ready. He's he's ready week one. Ted, he's awesome. Yeah. He is awesome. I got to sit in the film room with he and Eric Morris, his former head coach at Incarnate Word and now the OC, and break down old film and new film. So I get to watch him learn. I get to sit in meetings and listen to him ask questions. Of course, I got to spend time with him and interview him and get to know his personality. But then I went and watched practice at 6 a.m. And it's freezing cold at 6 a.m. when I was there. So he didn't flinch. He's like, I'm, I'm used to it. Let's go. Right? Those are the questions you ask about having a win in November or when it's a little chilly on the Palouse. I get Caleb Williams is in the top tier, as is DTR, as is Cam Rising, um, as is Jane Delora, right? Maybe Bo Nix, as, of course, Tanner McKee. Chance Nolan, I think, will be the starter. But, dude, Cameron Ward, he needs to be in the dialogue mm-hmm. because this dude can do things that I hadn't seen anybody in this league do yet. So I am, I am, real, I am as high on him now as I was after week three when Gardner Minshew was dealing. Right. So when you say things, you've seen him do things, what do you mean by that? So, I mean, he can, he can distort his body and make freakish throws. Huh. He can see things. And the, like, like the, the, the term I love is LTA, which is load to arrival. Like when he loads his foot, the ball is on the receiver. I saw him do things in practice where I, I literally was like, I said, whoa, out loud next to Bill Stevens. Like, I just think he's really unique as a competitor. He's special. And it's not like he's coming in like Jane Delora and having to learn a new offense. He's coming in and teaching the offense because mm-hmm. he played it. He's, he's the only guy that knows it inside and out as a player. So I, I, I just like him. They go to Wisconsin. That's going to be a challenge week two. Yeah. They got that their offensive front is where they need some growth, but he's going to be fun. So, all right. So that's kind of a, a recap. Colorado, I'm excited to get there. I'm really interested in them. We didn't have their spring game. Sounds like they're still split at the quarterback position. Uh, Oregon State, 
Damian Martinez, remember the name. He'll be an all-American freshman running back, in my opinion, from Oregon State. Hmm. Uh, and we touch on everybody else. So well, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about – let's just talk about Bo Nix a little bit more. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I was at practice, and Bo Nix – and I've talked to people at Auburn, and because Eric Kiesaw is the offensive coordinator there now. He was there last year as well. Eric Kiesaw, we know from this league. He's been all over UW. Uh, he was at uh, Cal. He's been in a bunch of places. Anyway, um, Bo Nix left – as the starter. He left as the starter in the SEC. I reference this book that I'm almost done with called Five Star QB. And in the book, Bo's in it. And he references how, like, he was a legacy kid there, right? His family had all gone there, played there. It's a lot of pressure there. He got engaged in Jordan Hare Stadium, for crying out loud. I, To me, he kind of just wanted, like, a fresh start to just be him. Right. And I say that because as I've finished this book, a lot of quarterbacks say the same line, which is on my official visit, the student section was chanting my name. After game six, they were chanting my name, but booing me off the field. Yeah. So I just think that for him, like having a complete fresh start to be able to go with Coach Dillingham, who he knew from his first year there, to go to a place like Oregon, which is not at all a rebuild. Like this team can win the Pac-12 as well. Won't be shocked if they make life really hard for Georgia in week one of the season. To me, he's he's the starter. Um, I know that that's not official from anybody over there. I think Ty Thompson has the most unique arm of the three competing for the job. But I I would be I would not be shocked. I'd rather I would be shocked if Bo Nix didn't trot out with the first team in week one. But I could see a world where Ty Thompson has a role at some point. Like I think Ty's got ability. So to that point, let me just get on a quick soapbox here to all the Oregon fans listening and every college football fan. Let's let's eliminate the dialogue of if a guy doesn't play by his second year, he should transfer and he's out. It's called development. It's called freaking development. And I just hate to hear that because everybody's not Trevor Lawrence. Everybody's not Jalen Hurts. Everybody's not Tua Tungavailoa. Guys have to develop, especially in another system. And that's where Ty Thompson is. And I think he can be a star in this league. He was the biggest quarterback recruit that Oregon ever signed out of high school. Let's not make his life a living hell if he's not named the starter. Let's just kick the heck back and let this guy develop. Like, I got a laundry list of players who developed. How about Matt Leinart? How about Mark Sanchez? How about John David Booty if you want to go to, like, the era in this league? How about uh, – I can go up and down this league and give you a bunch of names. Can I and throw a name at you? Please. I just spoke with him uh, last week again. Andrew Luck. A freaking man. Red shirted. Yes. His first year at Stanford. And I asked him about it again. And he, and he said, I wasn't ready to play. The offense that was being run at that time, which was a higher sophisticated offense, I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready. Who has that self-awareness? And the point I'm making is that that's what I, I went into the point about him with patience. That's what's missing, right? is everybody is impatient. And that's part of being young, completely understandable. But you hope you have people in your life that can balance that, right? And explain to you, hey, hang in there, hang yeah. in there. And I'm hoping that, for example, and I don't know Ty Thompson at all, but maybe he has people in his life that can help him establish that patience. Because in the end game, Oregon's the, it's hard to beat that as a place to be. Yes, 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 thank you. Okay, so um, in college football, uh, news was announced 
a week or two ago that the NCAA was eliminating the, the fact that you have to have divisions to have a conference championship game. Uh, and you had to base if you didn't play everybody, that basically how the rules said, then you had to have two divisions and have East play the West or what was the Big Ten back in the day? It was like the Legends and the Leaders or something like that way back in the day that they thankfully eliminated. Or the North and the South in the Pac-12. Um, I look at the leagues that are going to eliminate divisions for this season, which I think caught some people by surprise that it's happening now, is that it's putting you in the best position for the playoff. And if we rewind the clock, rewind the clock unfortunately, the leaders in that room couldn't find a way to agree on the obvious, which was expansion. So that's put on hold, and away we go. So now the leaders of each respective league have to say, all right, what is the best thing for our respective league? And I think if you go back in time, uh, Oregon, Stanford, at times, were 1-2 in this league. They didn't play each other in the Pac-12 championship game, right? But they both beat top 10 teams, right? So I think now what we're going to see, obviously, is the two best teams that have the best winning percentage in conference play play each other in Vegas, and I think it's the best thing for the league. What's your takeaway? Right. Well, yeah, I, I'm looking again at this uh, uh, quote from Jack Swarbrick, who's on the committee, and he said, he said, the playoff will wind up at 12. Now, there's no date as to when that will happen, but when it does happen, to me, it will render conference championship games pretty close to irrelevant, other than making money, which we understand. They're money makers. Okay, great. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm hopeful that this happens for the pack and that the scheduling situation is better because there is just no way you can make sense of the fact that Oregon and USC don't play in a football. Just that can't be. There's no benefit to the Pac-12 for that to happen. Um, and I understand the argument. We've talked about this before, Yoga. I, I'm the one that brought it up. I mean, Alabama and Georgia have played three or four times in the conference championship game. I think they've played once or twice in the regular season in the last 12 years. But the SEC is an anomaly. They don't care. They can play at three in the morning and they'll draw 85,000 people in their stadium. The Pac-12 is not that way. Yeah. Your teams need to play. Your teams need to play. And as you enter this world of a driving a new media deal, whatever that media deal will be, trying to maximize revenue. And as has been discussed, trying to make sure that you keep your powerful schools, your best schools in the conference. That's real, right? Make sure that those schools don't get attracted to go someplace else. They need to play a job. TV wants that. Streaming wants that. Whatever we end up with that wants it to happen. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm excited for, for where the league is going in that regard. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how it shakes out in other leagues too, right? What does the Big Ten decide to do, right? And if so, when does Michigan and Ohio State play? Do they not play the last week of the season again in case they have to play the very next week, right? Could you imagine this new deal that Fox parent is going to sign with the Big Ten? Could you imagine if, the, if Kevin Warren, the commissioner, said, by the way, guys, Michigan and Ohio State aren't going to play. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh -uh. Come on. Oregon and USC have to play, so I ended yeah. that off the yeah. soapbox. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and it's so weird this year, too, because of the COVID year, it basically pushed the schedule. So, right, so there's this two-year cycle of teams not playing each other, SC, UW, SC, Oregon. For whatever reason, that was their two that they missed every two years. And it's almost like we didn't even acknowledge it. At least I, it wasn't a big thing for us, I don't think, a couple of years ago. But because of 2020 – of course, they played in the Pac-12 title, but it was a funky year. And then last year, and then this year, it feels like they haven't played each other with any buildup in forever. 
So I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see how it shakes out. Um, I know there's been a ton of dialogue around that. And I think everybody in the league is, okay, what's the best thing for the league? What's the best thing for the game? And that's where they net out with this decision. So big news in Pac-12 football. Um, and we got you covered here on Pac-12 football. Ted, you're heading to Paris for the French Open, man. God. Yeah. Not I, for me. 25th time. Wow. Amazing. Never thought that would happen. So amazing. Still one of my favorite memories in my life was when Zane, who was three at the time, Amy and I went to Paris. You got us tickets. We turned around. We saw you in the booth. And anybody who's been to a tennis match knows that you have to stay silent. Well, there was this three-year-old who kept hitting the chair and knocking (laughs) on it during points. And we got a couple laughs in the beginning. And then we got a couple stares. And we're like, okay. After we, I think we lasted like one game. One game, and then we just hung out throughout the entire amazing area that they have the uh, tournament at. So thank you for that. Good memory. Well, then you have your family trip. And, man, like you said, by the time this all gets done, it'll be July. And we'll be starting to think about gearing it up. Let's go, baby. From you And, by the way, the, when you said the TV, the TV schedule, everybody's waiting for that to come out. Because then you'd find out, at least to start the year, the September games, when they're going to be played. You know, kickoffs and things like that, which are vital for fans to understand. So when's that coming out? I believe June 1st. June yeah, so it's been rumored. Uh, it's always funny whenever I run into the Fox guys at Scottsdale meetings, I just remember, I just let them know, hey, guys, take the bad games, you know, in the draft. Yeah. And they get a chuckle out of that. So we'll see. There's always a lot of insider deals and who's going to be good. So that's why it's fun for us to, to get to see these teams in the spring and try to nudge what game we might get to call. But, but I'm excited for us to kick off the season. Um, well, I think we'll get to see Oregon. I think we'll get to see SC. I think we'll get to see UCLA early on in the season. I think it's going to be really fun for our crew. Got to miss our crew, Molinari. Of course, he's doing the NBA playoffs now, and Barky's running around. But we'll get everybody back together after our respective holidays and, and your work, man. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Good recap of spring, the meetings, looking forward. Hit us up with any questions. Ted and I got you covered right here today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.